0: Our Lord and our God, we marvel as we look back on the life of Abraham, as we see your faithfulness to him again and again and again. Lord, we see that you are faithful to your promises to Abraham. And Lord, we see that you're even faithful to your promises to those who are outside of the covenant. Lord, we thank you that we can track your promises all through redemption history. As we see that, that your promise to Abraham is really a continuation of the promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And that this promise, this line that goes through Abraham and through, through Isaac and, and Jacob and, and on through the generations. Lord, we thank you and we, we praise you that this promise has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we look back as we reflect on the life of Abraham. Help us to see not only your faithfulness to him, but also, Lord, your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we trust that, that for many of the children in this church, Lord, that your faithfulness will continue through them and on through future generations until your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we approach this passage of scripture. I'm going to be focusing this morning on Genesis 25, verses 1 to 18, but I'm going to read the, uh, the whole chapter, um, and I, I think you'll see even how the, some of the themes that we're going to be looking at in the, in the first half are going to be continued um, into the second half. So, so let's, let's look together here at Genesis 25. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Lemuim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. These were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts. the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Bir Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Abdeel, Mibsem, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Pateranaram, the sister of Laban the Aramean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her and said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all his body like a hairy cloak, (coughs) cloak. so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, this morning with Genesis 22 1 to 18, and in the first half of, of that passage, Genesis 25. Uh, 1 to 11, we're, we're coming to the end of the longest Toledot in Genesis, the generations of Terah, the narrative detailing the life of Abraham. We're also going to cover Genesis 25, 12 to 18, the Toledot of Ishmael, the shortest Toledot in Genesis. And This passage contains two genealogies, the genealogy of the sons of Abraham and the genealogy of the sons of Ishmael. We're going to see how even though Abraham dies, this, his story is to be continued. But the story of Ishmael is presented as a dead end. We'll see how even though Abraham dies, his story is to be continued. His story is going to continue through his son Ishmael. Or so rather, who is, is through his son Isaac. But the genealogy of, of Ishmael, these names will not really figure in redemption history. So this is a, a tying up of, of loose ends, so to speak, before the story continues with the Toledot of Isaac in verses 19 and following. So here at, at the end of Abraham's life, we're, we're seeing a pattern, a, a pattern that we're later going to see with, repeated with Isaac and with Jacob. The death and burial of a wife the marriage of a son, and a genealogy, and then the death and burial of the patriarch. So Abraham's life on this earth is ending. The time of his sojourn is being completed. But the promised blessing, the blessing from the Lord, is now going to be passed on to Isaac. So blessing and inheritance are an essential theme in this chapter. We'll see who's described described as being blessed and who isn't. And we'll see that's the fulfillment of God's promises. So again, in this passage, we see two genealogies with the death of Abraham at the center. The genealogy of Abraham's sons in verses 1 to 6. And then the death of Abraham and his burial by Isaac and Ishmael In verses 7 to 11, and then the genealogy of Ishmael from verses 12 to 18. So first of all, the genealogy of Abraham's sons. Chapter 25 begins with the announcement that Abraham has taken another wife, Keturah. And verse 6, and also in 1 Chronicles 32, tell us that, that she is described as a concubine. Now, without going into the, 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 the details here, this, the, this practice is not endorsed in Scripture. This, this practice is just described as, as taking place. I'm not going to get into the, the ethics of this, but a, but a concubine is a, is a servant who had a physical relationship with her master. But this practice, though, though common in the Scriptures, is another example of why patterns in Scripture are not normative for us. how how they're not necessarily examples to be followed. We are told to draw our practice from explicit biblical precepts and principles, from from commands and and from from the teaching of the wisdom of God's word. Other passages reveal that, that keeping a concubine while married to another woman is actually considered to be immoral in the eyes of God. In any case, Keturah is referred to as both Abraham's wife and his concubine. This is also true of Hagar. It will also be true for for Jacob and Bilhah. And through Keturah, we're told that Abraham fathers six sons, all when Abraham is over 100 years old. I thought I was an old dad. Well, subsequent generations are, are only given through Jokshan and Midian. There's one more for Midian and two more for Jokshan. This is a, a segmented genealogy, which, if you remember, includes more than one descendant per generation, as opposed to a, a linear genealogy, which is the most common in Scripture, that follows a, a single line of descent for many generations. And... All of these children being presented here, they're, they're seen as the fulfillment of the Lord's repeated promise to Abraham that he would make him the father of a multitude of nations. We see this explicitly in Genesis 17, verses 6 and 7. God is faithful to his promises. And even though almost, almost all of these names are, are unfamiliar to us, they're, they're, they're presented here. There's a, there's a theological point to this, that that God is being presented as being faithful to Abraham. Now, some of these names are going to come up later on in Scripture, and and we can surmise a a few details about others, but the the most familiar to us is is Midian. The the Midianites are thought to have dwelt along the eastern shore of the Gulf of Aqaba, opposite the Sinai Peninsula, in what is now Saudi Arabia. And of course, the most famous Midianite is Moses' father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian who appears in Exodus to be a true worshiper of God. Now, none of these sons, though, play any significant role in redemption history. As Andrew Curry explains, though none of these sons were were going to be significant in acting in God's unfolding salvation plan, protecting Israel in a future battle, nor pointing other nations towards the greatness of God, they existed because God made other personal promises to Abraham. So God here in, in providing these sons, these other sons for Abraham is fulfilling his promises. Abraham had all of these descendants, but we see in verses five and six, that it's obvious that Isaac was Abraham's priority and God's priority. Look at verses five and six. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. While he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward toward the east country. So, what do you see here? Well, first, notice that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but the other sons were given gifts. Isaac was the sole heir of Abraham's wealth. Second, the sons of Keturah are sent away from Isaac. They are sent eastward to the east country. Eastward to the east country. This parallels the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden as they were, they were driven east of Eden in, in Genesis 3.24. It also parallels the expulsion of Cain who was also driven east of Eden away from the presence of the Lord in, in Genesis 4.16. So, so as these, these sons are, are driven out, or driven or sent away from Abraham, and more importantly, away from Isaac, we, we don't need to conclude here that Abraham did not love his other sons, but that his love for them was not as great as his love and obedience to the Lord. Remember God's word to Abraham in Genesis twenty-one twelve after Sarah demanded that Ishmael be cast out so that he would not be an heir along with Isaac. The Lord said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she says to you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So, so the, these exiles, these the sons of Abraham, like Ishmael, these exiles, the sons of Keturah, like those of Ishmael, son of Hagar, meant that them leaving meant that they would not be a threat to Isaac's inheritance. And, and although many tribes can claim to be descendants of Abraham, there's only one line through the covenant promise. So you're saying with the kids, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. I was asking the children, is that that true of you? Are are you a son or a daughter of Abraham in the most important sense? Are you a spiritual son or daughter of Abraham? Are you a true child of Abraham? You need to remember when the Israelites received this text, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years, waiting for the, the older generation to die off before they could enter the promised land. And most of these children who, who died, who were, were were, according to the flesh, descendants of, of Abraham, were children of the flesh. They were not children of the promise. They were not true children of Abraham. As Paul wrote in Romans uh, 9, verses 6 to 8, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because of his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted the offspring. The true children of Abraham, the children who are spiritually descended through Isaac, the spiritual offspring. Are you one of these children of promise? That promise only comes through Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman promised in Genesis three fifteen. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, Galatians three twenty nine. So we see in, in this passage that that Isaac was blessed by Abraham, but. Like Abraham, Isaac will not receive the full blessing until the end of his life on earth. There's there's a a more, an infinitely more important inheritance that Isaac receives than the material inheritance. There's there's a, a spiritual inheritance that is being passed along. And this, I'm sure, is the inheritance that you want to pass along to your children you scratch and save and, and try to be financially responsible so that there's something that you'll have, to, not just to live in this life, but something to be able to pass along to your children. But it's the spiritual inheritance is, is the one that will last. Death cannot hinder this inheritance. In fact, death is the means whereby you receive this inheritance. So with verses 7 to 11, let's look at the, the death Of Abraham and his burial by Isaac and Ishmael. Genesis 25 verses 7 to 11 presents Abraham's obituary. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. This is a longer genealogy than than the rest of of the genealogies that are presented in Genesis. Longer even than than that of of Adam and Noah. This is a a further demonstration of just how important Abraham is to redemption history. We've now walked with Abraham through uh, 100 years of his life. From the time of his, his call at the age of 75. We knew Abraham before he was Abraham. We knew Abraham back when he was Abram. And and we've we've walked with him and we've we've gotten to, to know him intimately as, as we've we've spent this time with him over the last few months and, and we've we've studied him, but more importantly, we've studied God's faithfulness to him. Now he's lived almost that whole hundred years in Canaan. And God has blessed Abraham with a very long life. And just as a side here, long life is, is often seen in the Old Testament as a mark of God's blessing. And it's often tied to obedience to God's commandments, like in Deuteronomy 4.40 and 6.2 and in 1 Corinthians or 1 Kings rather 3.14. We need to be careful not to conclude that long life is always a mark of obedience and a short life, a mark of disobedience. There's some pretty wicked people who live pretty long lives and some, some pretty godly people who live pretty short ones. But the long life that we see here in the Old Testament points to a far greater blessing. Please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Look at verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So, so who's being addressed here? He who he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This is someone who is walking with God. We now look at the end of, of Psalm 91, verse 16. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now that, that is glorious. But it's even more glorious when you understand who Psalm 91 is ultimately about. It's about Jesus. Th- this is a messianic psalm. You can see the fulfillment here in Jesus's life, but, but Jesus did not live a very long life on earth, but he rose on the third day and ascended to heaven. And that's the hope that we have. It's not ultimately in a long life in this life, but it's eternal life with God in glory. There's a pretty good chance that none of us in this room are going to live to 175 and Unless you survive until the millennial reign of Christ, depending on your eschatology. But your lifespan, thankfully, doesn't depend on your eschatology, but on God's sovereignty. You may not live a long life on this earth, but eternity is a very, 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 very long time. Where will you spend eternity? Your eternity depends on your faith in Christ, on your relationship with Christ. Your entrance into heaven doesn't depend on whether you've prayed, whether you've gone to church, whether you've, you've done any good works at all. Your salvation depends on whether you trust in Christ. So at 175, Abraham's lifespan is five years shorter than Isaac's. And after Isaac, human lifespans will start to decrease gradually down to the, the average lifespan that we have today. Abraham's lifespan was 22 years longer than his great, sorry, than his grandson Jacob and, and 65 years longer than his great-grandson Joseph. The way that this chapter is organized, that the death of Abraham is being presented before the birth of Jacob and Esau. But remember that, that since Abraham died at 175, and Jacob and Esau were born when Isaac was 40, this means that, that sorry, the 15, 60, 60, rather, this means that the twins must have been 15 when Abraham died. So Abraham would have been alive to, to whether he was physically present or not, we don't know, but Abraham would have been alive, probably until, until the, these twins, Jacob and Esau, were 15 years old. Now This arrangement makes sense when you consider how Genesis is organized into, to, into ten dole- Toledotes. Remember, a Toledote means generation. These are the generations of. Jacob and Esau are presented as part of the, the next Toledote. The, the generations of Isaac that will begin next week and then, and then we'll, we'll focus f- through the end of Genesis on the, the Toledote uh, uh, of Jacob. Whereas the, the, there's a brief mention of, of Esau's generations, the the generations of of Esau. He has his own small Toledot. Well notice here the way Abraham's death is described. He breathes his last and dies and is gathered to his kin and is buried. And this last phrase means that that it, it doesn't mean that that this being gathered to his kin doesn't mean that he was was buried in an ancestral grave. Yeah, we, we see in, in Exodus that this is described of, of Moses and Aaron, that they're called uh, to be gathered. They're said to be, have been gathered to their descendants, but we don't know where they're buried. Yeah, it doesn't mean that they've necessarily gone to heaven because we'll see in the next section that, that Ishmael is described as being gathered to his, his kin as well, but, but Ishmael's is not in heaven. So what does it mean here, this, this phrase being gathered to his kin? Well, it, it simply means that, that the deceased joins his ancestors in the realm of the dead. He's gone to be with them in death. Now, the Old Testament does not present a fully developed theology of death. We need to look to the teaching of the New Testament for that. But we also need to understand that, that there is resurrection is present, is present in, a, a, in the Old Testament as well. Mitch Chase says that it might seem like resurrection is an exclusively New Testament hope. But he says, if you grab this hope and pull, you'll find that it has roots leading you deep into the Old Testament. He says God was providing resurrection hope to his people from the beginning. You can see that in many places in the Old Testament. Let's just think for a moment about, about Abraham here. What was Abraham's hope? Abraham hoped in a future resurrection where he would receive fully fulfilled promises. Remember Hebrews 11:16. Abraham, along with the Old Testament saints listed in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, along with, with all the Old Testament saints who, who desired a better country. Abraham desired a better country, a heavenly country. Now, they just didn't understand to the same degree as we do because of the incarnation, the death, and the the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ and because of the testimony of the New Testament. But but their hope was the same as ours. They were saved by the same gospel and had the same hope as we do. And I figured this would also be a good opportunity to to briefly discuss the intermediate state. The the question of, of where is Abraham now? And not just Abraham, but but other believers who have died. And and what about unbelievers? Well, we we know that when when Jesus speaks of of poor Lazarus dying in in Luke 16, not the Lazarus that Jesus resurrects, but Jesus speaks of this Lazarus as as as, as being at Abraham's side, at Abraham's side, or sometimes called Abraham's bosom. Well, Well, where is this? The rich man who ignored Lazarus is said to be in conscious torment in Hades. Now, some people wrongly teach a theology of of soul sleep, that your soul, when you die, that your soul sleeps until final judgment. Some also wrongly teach that, that people are dying and going to heaven and having visions and coming back and writing books about it. There's one very popular book called Heaven is for Real. And it was presented as a testimony of a young boy who died and went to heaven, talked to Jesus, and came back. And I've I've talked to people who who really believe this book. There's even a movie about this book. But the boy who the book's about, Colton Burpo, has admitted that this book was a fraud. It was fabricated by his father. There's another boy that, that, that had a supposedly similar experience, supposedly went to heaven. His name is Alex Malarkey. And he has admitted that the book was actually malarkey. John MacArthur warns that all these supposed trips to heavens are hoaxes. And they prey on people in the most vulnerable way because they treat death in a superficial, deceptive fashion. Please don't be deceived by this heavenly tourism fiction. The Apostle Paul is one person who really did go to heaven and come back. He did go there, bo- whether he went there bodily or out of, the bo- out of the body, we don't know. But we do know that he didn't, when he, he, didn't go there through death. And when he, when he came back, he didn't write about it. He didn't write about what he heard or saw because he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. We know from God's word that is appointed to man once to die and then comes judgment. But there's other errors that, that people make about the intermediate state as well. A couple of weeks ago in the Bible study, I said that, that believers live in a conscious spiritual state in paradise until final judgment. I said at which point we go to heaven, but prompted by a question that, that came to me afterwards, I did a bit more study, <clears throat> more study and realized that, that I was wrong. That the terms paradise and heaven are used interchangeably in scripture. In fact, in, very clearly in the passages referred to in 2 Corinthians 12 that heaven and paradise describe the same place. So when Jesus promised the, 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 um, the thief on the cross that today you will be, be with me in paradise, he's saying that today you will go with me to heaven. To heaven. And that's, that's where Abraham's bosom is. And that's where believers, all believers, from, from the Old Testament to the present, all believers are there present in heaven. In the presence, not just of Abraham, but in the presence of the Lord. So, so I was wrong. It's, there's not a distinction between, between paradise and heaven, but there is a distinction between what happens now in, in the intermediate state and what happens in, in the final state. The distinction is, 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 is in place and in person. Because what, what happens is in, in the, the final state, we have a new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And at the final judgment we will receive a, a resurrected body, a resurrection body. And we will then dwell with God physically in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's a parallel for unbelievers as well. They will also receive resurrected bodies, even though they are now in, in conscious torment, separated from God in Hades, that they will be cast into the lake of fire physically, where they will endure physical torments in addition to spiritual torments for all eternity. So the, 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 what we hope for our loved ones who have died is that they're now absent with the body and present with the Lord in paradise. In heaven, awaiting the resurrection body, when they will physically be raised to to, when they will physically be raised and physically present with the Lord, even as they are now spiritually. That is our hope for them, and that is our hope for us. So Abraham died and was buried, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael came together and they buried him. It's the only other place in in. Then, this genea- then the genealogy in 1 Chronicles 28 this is the only place where their names occur together. Ishmael is present here, though understandably he was not present at the burial of Sarah. There was love between Abraham and Ishmael, even though God had told Abraham to send him away. So Abraham goes back to Hebron one last time. I'm kind of choked here. I'm feeling sad. I'm, I'm going to miss Abraham. I'm, I'm looking forward to when, we get to, when we get to Romans, hopefully before too long, I'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll look at Abraham again. But I'm, I'm kind of sad. I'm, I feel like I'm going to miss Abraham. But Abraham is buried alongside Sarah in the cave of Machpelah. But notice the specificity of verses 9 and 10. The cave of Machpelah, the the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. Remember that this land is is another marker of God's fulfilled promise to Abraham, a token of his possession of the whole land of Canaan. And then verse 11 concludes the Abraham narrative by, by passing the blessing on to Isaac. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. This transition is now fully made to Isaac. Isaac lives in Bir Lahai Roy. This is the place where, where the Lord had heard Hagar. This is the place where Isaac had met Rebekah. This is the place where Isaac will pray for his barren wife. The Lord blesses Isaac. Moses is here confirming that the transition of the divine blessing to the next generation is complete. That the Lord's blessing does not end with Abraham's death. That the promise is eternal and it is rooted and grounded on the promise of God it is it is a continuing fulfillment of the initial promise to Abraham in Genesis twelve one to three that we have followed through the toledot of Tira Abraham's life story and it's the continuing fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis three fifteen again that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head the promise that leads to Jesus Christ and so Abraham's story is continued because the promise continues. Friends, though faithful believers die, God's blessing passes along to the next generation. What is your legacy? What will you be known for? Parents, what are you leaving for your children? Kids, I hope and pray that that many of you will play an important role in the future of this church long after I'm gone, long after your parents have gone, long after we've gone to be with the Lord, that that you will continue this church according to God's faithfulness. So finally and briefly then, let's look at at verses 12 to 18, the genealogy of Ishmael. Bir Lahai Roy is really an appropriate place to transition to this next Toledot. One that is going to be the, the subject, not of an entire sermon, but, but this is really a footnote at the end of Abraham's life. And so while Abraham's genealogy is to be continued through Isaac, Ishmael's genealogy is an ending. It's presented as a dead end. So here we have a, a new Toledot, the seventh of ten Toledots in Genesis, the generations of Ishmael. This is another genealogy. It's another segmented genealogy, but it's it's also a non-elect genealogy. The last four Toledotes in Genesis follow this pattern. A brief non-elect genealogy followed by a more lengthy elect genealogy. Ishmael before Isaac, who will continue our study of next week, and then Esau before Jacob. So with this look at, at Ishmael, again, it's like tying up a loose end before moving on. Ishmael is identified here as the son of Abraham, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. This highlights the fact that even though he is the son of Abraham, like the sons of Keturah, he is not the legitimate heir of the promised inheritance. Hagar, we are told again, is an Egyptian. Just remember how the Egyptians were viewed by the Israelites, especially as they received this scripture after their captivity in Egypt at the end end of their wilderness wandering. There there are 12 names listed, 12 sons of Ishmael. Now, it's no coincidence that that there are 12 of them as there are also um, 12 sons of, of Esau and 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 princes here are, are presented as a fulfillment of God's promise to make Ishmael into a great nation and to a father of multitude of kings. This promise was repeated in, in Genesis 16.10 and 17.20 and 21.18. And so we're, God is seen here to be faithful to keep his promises even to those who are outside the covenant. But even this is the, ultimately the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. Dale Ralph Davis says that, that this, this trumpets the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is being trumpeted here even to Ishmael. Ishmael's daughters, Mahalath and Basamath, are, are not mentioned here. They're mentioned later in Scripture. It focuses on these sons. The tribes are organized by villages and encampments with a chief leading them. And, and, and several of these names are listed elsewhere in Scripture, but mainly as those, as peoples who are being conquered. Like the sons of Keturah, none of Ishmael's sons figure prominently in redemption history. Again, Ishmael's genealogy seems to be a dead end. We saw explicitly that the Lord blessed Isaac, but there's no mention Of the Lord blessing Ishmael. Now He does give Ishmael long life, He does give Ishmael many children. So there's there's a form of blessing, but it is not a spiritual blessing. And so Ishmael's line is going to continue because God will remain faithful to his promises. But again, Ishmael is is outside of the covenant. Contrary to Islamic revisionist history, Ishmael was not the preferred son. He was not the legitimate heir. Again, for Ishmael, this is a dead end. Ishmael's obituary is in verse 17. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. In verse 18, we read that his people settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the, the direction of Assyria. this is again this is the Arabian Peninsula where many of his descendants still live to this day. We're also told that he settled over against his kinsmen. This echoes the prophecy of Genesis 16:12 He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. Uh, Verse 18 is is translated in the Nazbi. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. In the NIV, and they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. Again, this is another fulfillment of God's promise, even though it is in a negative sense. And this hostility continues to this day as the sons of Ishmael continue to make war with the sons of Isaac. So Abraham's covenant blessing was passed along as the Lord promised to Abraham's promised son through Sarah, his son Isaac. But the blessing was not passed along to Ishmael or to any of Abraham's other sons through his other wives because God is faithful to his promises. God, again, is faithful to keep his promises even to those who are outside the covenant. But he even keeps spiritual promises to some of those who are outside the covenant. Please turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. Look at verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Now, of course, th- th- this is a, a prophecy that, that we remember at this time of year as the, the Magi traveled to Bethlehem to worship Jesus Christ. Now, even though they, they weren't there very likely until much after his birth, the point is that... that that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And whose names do you see there? Midian and Ephah. And all those from Sheba. These are names that are listed as, the de- as among the descendants of Keturah. They're listed as among the descendants of Keturah. And then read on. Look at at 60 verse 7. And all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you and they shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Recognize those names? Kedar, Nebaioth, these are sons of Ishmael. So it seems that Ishmael wasn't such a dead end after all. In fact even today many Muslims many sons of Ishmael are coming to faith in Jesus Christ they are proving themselves to be spiritual sons of Abraham many of the sons of Ishmael will be among the elect this is a further promise uh, a further fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3 that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed Again from Andrew Curry, who suggests that one believes that Abraham, to whom the continuation of the seed of promise through Isaac had been, ulti- had been divinely revealed, ultimately knew the future hope for the nations would descend from his, his other's boys, that it depended upon the success of Isaac's line and the consequential provision of the promised seed. In other words, Abraham, who loved all his boys, knew that ultimately it was through the seed of one, namely Isaac, that the other nations he fathered could be blessed. So the salvation of these people is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. But it is also the fulfillment of the prophecy in Revelation 5, 9, that the blood of the Lamb who was slain has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, that he has made them a kingdom and priests to God. So let us cry with the multitude of Revelation 7, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you that you are faithful to all of your promises. We thank you, Father, for this testimony of your faithfulness to Abraham, Lord, who was called as a pagan and called into relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for these seeds, the seed who has, has come, the seed who is the elect seed those who you have chosen for salvation. We thank you that this even includes some of the sons of of Hagar's concubine, Keturah. This also includes some of the sons of Ishmael. Lord, we trust it also includes many of us who are here, who are truly the spiritual seed of Abraham through the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, granting us repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you will be will, it would help us to be faithful to always remember your promises. And Lord, to be faithful to declare your promises to a world that so desperately needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to go with confidence that you will be faithful to draw all of your elect home to be with you for all eternity, for the advancement of your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.